welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, by whom we are redeemed and receive adoption, look graciously upon your beloved sons and daughters, that those who believe in Christ may receive true freedom and an everlasting inheritance. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Book of Wisdom. What man indeed can know the intentions of God? Who can divine the will of the Lord? The reasonings of mortals are unsure and our intentions unstable. For a perishable body presses down the soul, and this tent of clay weighs down the teeming mind. It is hard enough for us to work out what is on earth, laborious to know what lies within our reach. Who then can discover? What is in the heavens? As for your intention, who could have learnt it, had you not granted wisdom, and sent your Holy Spirit from above? Thus have the paths of those on earth been straightened, and men been taught what pleases you, and saved by wisdom. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In every age, O Lord, You have been our refuge. In every age, O Lord, you have been our refuge. You turn man back to dust and say, Go back, sons of men. To your eyes, a thousand years are like yesterday. Come and gone, no more than a watch in the night. In every age, O Lord, you have been our refuge. You sweep men away like a dream, like the grass which springs up in the morning. In the morning it springs up and flowers, by evening it withers and fades. In every age, O Lord, you have been our refuge. Make us know the shortness of our life, that we may gain wisdom of heart. Lord, relent. Is your anger forever? Show pity to your servants. In every age, O Lord, you have been our refuge. In the morning, fill us with your love. We shall exult and rejoice all our days. Let the favour of the Lord be upon us. Give success to the work of our hands. In every age, O Lord, you have been our refuge. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to Philemon. This is Paul writing, an old man now, and what is more, a still a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for a child of mine, whose father I became while wearing these chains. I mean Onesimus. I am sending him back to you, and with him, I could say, a part of my own self. I should have liked to keep him with me. He could have been a substitute for you to help me while I am in the chains that the good news has brought me. However, I did not want to do anything without your consent. 
it would have been forcing your act of kindness, which should be spontaneous. I know you have been deprived of Onesimus for a time, but it was only so that you could have him back forever, not as a slave anymore, but something much better than a slave. A dear brother, especially dear to me, but how much more to you as a blood brother as well as a brother in the Lord? So, if all that we have in common means anything to you, welcome him as you would me. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Let your face shine on your servant and teach me your laws. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Great crowds accompanied Jesus on his way, and he turned and spoke to them. If any man comes to me without hating his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and his own life too, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And indeed, which of you here, intending to build a tower, would not first sit down and work out the cost to see if he had enough to complete it. Otherwise, if he laid the foundation and then found himself unable to finish the work, the onlookers would all start making fun of him and saying, here is a man who started to build and was unable to finish. Or again, what king marching to war against another king would not first sit down and consider whether with 10,000 men he could stand up to the other who advanced against him with 20,000? If not, then while the other king was still a long way off, he would send envoys to sue for peace. So, in the same way, none of you can be my disciple unless he gives up all his possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the Gospel which we've heard this morning, we're presented with one of the most shocking and challenging texts in the Scriptures. Our Lord Jesus says to us, If any man comes to me without hating his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and his own life too, he cannot be my disciple. And we get this on Father's Day of all days. (laughs) It seems to be some of the most distasteful words that Jesus pronounces. Who can accept it? On the one hand, Jesus says on the Sermon of the Mount, love your enemies. And here in Luke's Gospel, we hear, hate your family. It seems that Jesus is reacting against some of our most natural inclinations. And what he's asking us to do is somehow doing damage to our deepest humanity. Well, it appears that way on the surface. But what is it that the Lord is really getting at? Now, I'm not going to dodge the question, but I am going to approach it from a different starting point. In 1949, while Pope John Paul II was still a priest in Krakow in Poland, he finished writing a play about a Polish saint by the name of Albert Chmielowski. And the play was called our God's brother. 
Now, Brother Albert was a talented artist who stopped painting in order to look after the poor in the city of Krakow. And in the play, a stranger goes up to Brother Albert and claims that all that was needed to relieve the poverty of the poor was an abundance of material goods. The kind of logic that says, give a man enough food and he won't be hungry. Well, in this play, Our God's Brother, Pope John Paul places a very interesting response to this proposition on the lips of Brother Albert. He said, Man's poverty is deeper than the resources of all those goods. In other words, all the material possessions of the world can never alleviate the poverty of the human person. His desires are far greater than everything that is. Listen again to that quote from Pope John Paul II's play. Man's poverty is deeper than the resources of all those goods. I think when we step back from the frenetic pace of our everyday lives, when we pull ourselves out of the constant stream of information and news and advertising, and when we begin to examine our own existence, we can see the truth of that statement. So many different things promise to give us satisfaction and happiness. Surely once I've achieved my goal. Surely once I've bought my dream house. Surely once I've got my promotion. Surely, after all these great milestones, I'll have reached my destination and obtained my happiness. Although intellectually we know the shallowness of those statements, it's still hard not to buy into them, because this logic stands at the heart of virtually every advertising campaign. My product will make you happier. My product will make you less afraid. My product will answer your question. My product will ease your hunger. But in the midst of these slogans comes this great line from Pope John Paul II. Man's poverty is deeper than the resources of all those goods. There's an inexhaustibility to human desire. We can keep throwing stuff at this desire, but it's bottomless. My poverty is greater than all the goods of this world. I may possess something good, but the thought that there's something better causes my desire to lock on that which I don't have. But finally, obtaining that which I don't have doesn't definitively bring a close to my desire, because conceivably, there may be something better once again, and then that becomes the object of my desire. And this process continues ad infinitum, until finally we come to a desire for that which is perfect. Nothing is conceivably better than perfection, than infinity. That's what I want. And the world can't give me that. Interestingly, this dynamic was captured well uh, by an old story about Alexander the Great. It said that when Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he wept, for there were no more worlds to conquer. Possessing the world, he was still hungry. Man's poverty is deeper 
than the resources of all those goods. So what's the deal then? Do we simply resign ourselves to being frustrated all the time? My desire is limitless, but I am limited. So learn to live with dissatisfaction. Do I just accept my inevitable poverty? Maybe the secret to life is for me just to lower my expectations. Well, the secret to human life, according to the biblical tradition, is to recognise what it is that we truly desire. What is it that we honestly seek? Because this is what clarifies the meaning of my life. This is what points out the goal and end that I'm truly seeking. If my ultimate desire is for the infinite, then I'll only find my true satisfaction in the infinite. That God is the one for whom I'm longing. God is the one for whom each of us is ultimately longing. And the expression of this desire is indicated countless times in the scriptures. But perhaps one of the most evocative comes from Psalm 62. O God, you are my God, for you I long. For you my soul is thirsting, like a dry, weary land without water. Now, we're getting to the core of God's plan for humanity. He's created us with a deep desire, a hunger, so that we would seek after that which would satisfy this great famine. And this is the, at the heart of St. Augustine's great statement from his masterpiece, The Confessions. You have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. My heart is restless because it does not yet behold God, the object of its desire. And the reason why I desire God is because God made me for himself. The answer to the deep question of my happiness is him. And ultimately, nothing else. And so whenever I make something other than God as the highest goal of my life, I will inevitably run into frustration because nothing else is infinite. Nothing else corresponds to my desire for perfection. And so the tragedy of human life is that very often we intuit the object of this infinite desire as being something finite, something limit, limited. Those captured by greed have an infinite desire for finite money. And in the end, there's not enough money. Those captured by sensuality have an infinite desire for finite pleasure. Because in the end, no pleasure is long-lasting and no pleasure is enough. Those captured by pride will have an infinite desire for finite ego. And gee, isn't pride something that just doesn't quit? These things will come to occupy a position in our lives that really should belong to God alone. And the scriptures have a word for that. They call it idolatry. That which is at the centre of our lives is that which we worship. 
My true God might well be my ego, my wealth, my reputation, my pleasure. And this is a recipe for unhappiness. Now, here's the kicker. And this is why the gospel is so challenging. Even those things which are most precious to us must never take God's place. Even my father, my mother, my spouse, my children, my siblings, none of them should occupy the place of God. Because none of them will ultimately satisfy my desire for perfection. I mustn't idolize even the most precious relationships that I hold dear. Now, Christ isn't denigrating the beauty of the family. Certainly not. It's the pinnacle of his creation and a sign of God's love for humanity. But even the family cannot occupy the central place that God holds in my life. And in fact, this is good news. When I don't idolize my spouse, my family, when I don't expect them to fulfill and satisfy my infinite desire, then I'm not placing on them a burden that they cannot possibly carry. I'm not placing on them a hope which they can never possibly live up to. My family, my wealth, my power, all of these things may make me happy, even very happy, and hopefully even deliriously happy, but never perfectly happy. Only God can still my restless heart, because God has made me for himself. So how should I live in order to arrive at my final destination of being perfectly happy? Well, Jesus tells us, anyone who does not carry his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The way that leads to God, our ultimate desire, is the way of the cross. It's a bit counterintuitive. Why is the path to happiness so difficult? It's because the only way to God, who is love, is the way that is love. It's not a Hollywood Ryan Gosling kind of love, but a Christ-like love. A love that is willing to pour itself out. A love that is willing to sacrifice. Being willing to take up our crosses and come after Christ means nothing less than being willing to love like Christ. And this is the way that leads to the Father for whom we yearn. Love is what we desire. Infinite love. And our hearts are restless until they are enwrapped in the infinite exchange of love. Thanks for praying with us. And may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.